This passage is one of the passages that we derive the language of our mission statement from. We here at Trinity say that we exist as a congregation of Christ's church to make and equip mature disciples of Jesus Christ. A mature disciple being one who generously loves and serves God, one another, and our neighbors here in Cleveland and even around the world. This is our mission. This is, this is why we exist as a congregation of, of Christ's church. And in that mission statement, you, you hear two, eyes, uh, two ideas sort of uh, expressed as essential. The ideas of maturity and the ideas of love. Our mission is first to make mature disciples, to, to make disciples who are not children, you know, bouncing about from one idea to the next, but rather mature disciples who faithfully and, and consistently live as disciples of Christ ought to live. And of course, central to that idea of maturity is the idea of love. For loving God and loving neighbor are at the very heart of biblical Christ-like maturity. To love well is what it means to be mature. And so at the heart of our mission as a church are the ideas of maturity and love. And we have put those at the center of our mission because they're central to, to Paul's understanding of the ministry of the church. We, we see that here in this text. First, we see the idea of maturity in verses 13 through 15. Paul says that the body of Christ is to be built up. It is to be continually built up until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. And he goes on to, to define that as mature manhood, a, a maturity that reflects the fullness of Christ. He then contrasts that, of course, with, with being children, tossed to and, and fro. We are to grow from being children into being mature men and women of God. Men and women who reflect the character of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we see the, the idea of maturity central in this text, but we also see the idea of love at the end of verse 16. Paul says that when each part is working properly, the body grows and notice, it, it builds itself up in love. Now there's some ambiguity at this point. Paul may intend, in love, to refer to the goal or to the outcome of the body being built up by one another. That is, he may be saying that, that love is the, the goal that we are being built up into Christian love. But more likely, Paul intends in love here to refer to the manner in which the members of the body build one another up. Remember, earlier he, he spoke of speaking the truth in love. And we, we recognize that that means that when we speak the truth, we are to do it lovingly. We are to, to do it in a, in a loving manner. We are not to, to use the truth to, to beat our brothers down into submission, but rather we are to use that truth kindly, lovingly, to, to build them up towards maturity in Christ. And it seems most likely that he means the same thing here, that, that our building up of one another is to be done in a loving way, in a way that, that exudes a concern for the ultimate good of the other. However, when you think about it, either reading really fits with our mission. 
Because if, if a mature disciple is one who reflects the love of Christ, or if a mature disciple is one who, who helps others grow into Christ in a loving way, either way, love is an expression of their maturity. And so either way, Paul is talking about Christ-like maturity expressed in love for the other. And he is saying, as clearly as he can say, that this is the goal of the church's ministry. This is why we exist as a congregation of Christ's church. This is why we gather together. That we might be built up into Christ. That we might become Christ-like. Christ did not save us simply so that we could escape the the guilt of our sins. Simply so that we could escape the the punishment that was due to us. He, He saved us and he is redeeming us that we might become the the image bearers we were created to be. He is restoring us to be fully human by being conformed to the image of Christ. And he has called his church together to accomplish that purpose. We we see this in, in verse 12. Look again what Paul says. He says that Christ has given his church apostles and prophets and evangelists and and pastor teachers. Why? In order to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So building up the body of Christ, building them up towards this Christ-like maturity, this this love-expressed maturity, building up the body of Christ towards this image is exactly the work of ministry that he has given to whom? To to the saints. And who are these saints? Well, these saints are the Christians, the the church, the living stones that make up the church. Saint is simply Paul's way of, of talking about a Christian. The word saint means one who has been set apart, one who has been called out. That is who we are in Christ. We are the saints. The saints are not the elite among us. They are are not the marines of the church, the few and the proud. They are each and every one of us who has been called out of the world to belong to God. In Christ, we are saints, the living stones of which the church consists. And to us, as saints, has been given the work of building up the body, the entire body, towards maturity in Christ. And if this is the work that Christ has given to His church, if this is the mission that that He has assigned to them, then that means that because Trinity is a congregation of Christ's church, that this is our mission. This is the mission given to us by God. As a church, we simply are not free to decide for ourselves why we exist. We are simply not free to to decide what ends we will pursue. But on the contrary, we have been called into existence by God and for God. It is He who determines our purpose. It is He who assigns our mission. And this is the mission that He has assigned. This is the mission that He has has given us. We exist to make mature disciples who, who go out into the world generously loving God with all of their heart. And because they love God with all of their heart, they generously give themselves in love to their neighbors. And so here at Trinity, this is the goal of everything we do. 
We gather together on a, on a Sunday morning. We, we gather together on a Wednesday evening. We, we gather together at other various times throughout the week in larger groups, sometimes in smaller groups, sometimes even just one-on-one. We, we gather together in order to pursue this goal that we might go out into the world not as children, but as mature disciples equipped to love our neighbors well as an expression of our deep love for God. This is why we exist. Everything we do serves, or at least ought to serve, this end. And so what I want to show you this morning, and the the brief time we have left, is that what we do here this morning is no different. Calling Sam as our associate pastor serves this mission. We are calling him this morning, and we are installing him this morning, because him being installed as our pastor allows us to more faithfully and to more fruitfully accomplish this end. But to do that, I think I need to briefly explain the difference between an assistant and an associate pastor. And we don't usually talk about polity in church, but just bear with me for a few minutes here. Because I suspect that at least a few of you, maybe considerably more than a few of you, are at least confused to to some degree about what we're doing here this morning. I mean, hasn't Sam been our pastor for more than a year now? Didn't we just install him early last year? Why are we doing it again? I understand your confusion. I I suspect that it doesn't help much just to use the words assistant and and associate. You're probably not overly uh, uh, informed about the, the distinction between the two positions, but there is a distinction, and it is an important one. An assistant pastor is called by the elders, and he is called by the elders to assist the elders in the work that God has given them to do. The, the work of, of shepherding a particular congregation. The, the elders are the men who have been elected uh, by the congregation and ordained to that office, according to God's word, to, to lead and to rule the congregation in its pursuit of Christ-like maturity. It is the elders, and that includes me since I was, like them, elected by the congregation. It is the elders who determine the best way for this particular congregation to to pursue its mission in this particular context. They, They are given that task of wisdom to decide how should this church pursue this mission. Every church has the same mission But not every church is going to look exactly the same because they have different people. They they exist in different contexts. And they're going to pursue the the one God-given mission of the church in different ways and in different contexts at at different times. And it is the elders who have the responsibility of, of deciding how a church is going to pursue its mission at a particular time and in a particular place. And it is the elders, of course, who, who oversee that work. Once, once the course has been set, once, once the path has been decided on. It is the elders who who seek to shepherd the congregation to walk that path faithfully. But as a church grows, it becomes difficult for the elders and the the solo pastor to to do that work as effectively as they would like. I was aware of Trinity reaching that point several years ago. It became clear to me that, that we had too many balls in the air and we weren't able to manage them all. We needed more help. 
We needed help to do all that we wanted to do in the service of our King to build His body up towards maturity in Christ. And so when a congregation reaches that point, when when the elders need help, they often decide to call an assistant pastor. An assistant pastor is, is called by the elders to help them to fulfill the duties of their calling in the church. However, because an assistant is not called by the congregation, he is not an elder of the congregation. That is, he doesn't have any authority to determine the the best way for the congregation to pursue its mission. As the the session deliberates and decides on what it's going to do, the, the, the assistant pastor is there to inform, but he doesn't have a vote. He, he doesn't have authority to help the session decide what it's going to do. And so therefore, while he has the ability to use his gifts in the execution of the mission, he does not have the opportunity to use his gifts in the formation of the strategies for accomplishing that mission. An associate is different. An associate pastor is an associate of the elders. He is a fellow elder because he has been elected by the congregation. And as such, he has a vote on the session, which means he now gets to use his pastoral gifts not only to execute the mission of the church, but also to help shape its strategies in a particular context. And so Sam, this morning, by being installed as an associate is still going to be our pastor. He's still going to be serving us with his pastoral gifts, but he's now going to be serving us in additional ways. We're going to have the benefit of his wisdom as we seek to fulfill our mission in this particular context. That's what's going on here this morning. We are are calling Sam. We are moving him as an assistant to the elders, to to an elder of the congregation, to a shepherd among us, to to a fellow elder, as Peter calls him who can help us to pursue our mission using all of his gifts. And it is precisely because he has been gifted that Paul says this is a gift to the church. Notice what Paul says in verse 11. Paul writes that he, that is Christ, gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and and pastors and teachers to the church. What I want you to notice about that is that Christ gave to his church men who were apostles, men who were prophets, men who were evangelists or or pastors and teachers. He didn't merely assign men to those roles, but rather he gave men who were these things to the church to fulfill these roles. And that prompts us to ask an important question. How is it that someone becomes an apostle? How is it that that someone becomes a pastor? Well, Paul answers this very question in the first line of this letter. Look look with me back at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul introduces himself how? He, He introduces himself as Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. How did Paul become an apostle? He he became an apostle by the will of God. And and he expands on this idea further in chapter 3, beginning at verse 7. Notice what he writes. He says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, 
which he has given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So Paul became an apostle. He was set apart to preach the gospel of God concerning his son according to the gift of God's grace. He was given the gift of apostleship so that he might be given as an apostle to the church. And when you consider what Paul says about the gifts of apostles and and pastors in, in 1 Corinthians 12, the passage that Austin read earlier, I think we may safely assume that the same thing is true of pastors. A man becomes a pastor according to the gift of God's grace. God gives the gifts of a pastor to a man so that that man might be given to the church as a pastor. And this is what God has done with Sam. God gave the gifts of a pastor to Sam. And I I can say that confidently. Not only because I can see his gifts, not only because you can see his gifts. I've seen his gifts since the first time that we met together at Olive Garden. But I can say that confidently because his gifts and his giftedness for this ministry have been repeatedly confirmed by the Holy Spirit through the church. First, Sam, Sam's gifts were affirmed by his presbytery in North Carolina, which, which deemed him gifted to serve as a pastor. And they ordained him to that office. And secondly, his, his gifts were affirmed by the congregation there that, that called him to serve as their pastor, which he did for almost six years. And then when Sam made the transition here to Tennessee Valley, his gifts were again affirmed by the Presbytery, Tennessee Valley Presbytery, affirming that, yes, this man is gifted to serve as a pastor within our bounds. And then his gifts were again affirmed when you as a congregation voted to call him as your pastor at our meeting in January. Time and again, Sam's giftedness to serve as a pastor has been affirmed and confirmed by the Holy Spirit through the church. And having received those gifts, he is now given as a gift to the church, and particularly to this congregation. We receive him this morning as the gift of God to Trinity. And so how should we respond to such a gift? How how do we respond to receiving such a gift from our Heavenly Father? I want to suggest to you three ways that we respond to God's gift to us. First, I want to encourage you to thank God for His gift. Thanking God by by just praying to Him in thanksgiving that that Sam has has come to us to, to help us to grow up towards maturity and help us to equip others to grow up towards maturity. As you hear often around here, growth is a community project. Paul says it here in verse 16, the body grows as each part is working properly. And Sam is gifted to help each of us work properly. He is is gifted not only to help you grow, but to help you help others grow. And we should thank God for giving us a pastor such as Sam. 
And following Paul's example, we ought not only to thank God, but we ought to let Sam know that we thank God for him. We see Paul doing this throughout his letters. He is is constantly telling people how much he thanks God for them, how much he appreciates them. And we should follow suit, and and you do follow suit. Let me say, in my 10 years here, you you have done this exceedingly well. And so my encouragement to you is continue what you have been doing. Continue to give thanks to God. Continue to encourage us by, by telling us how much you are thankful that we are here to help, even when we might fall short of all of your expectations. So first, thank God for Sam. Second, pray for him. Paul was constantly asking those to whom he wrote to, to pray for him. He, he, he asked the Colossians to, to pray for him and his associates that they might have a, an open door to preach the gospel. Similarly, he, he prays to the Ephesians. He, he asked the Ephesians to, to pray for him that he might speak the word of God boldly. And to the Thessalonians, he says simply, pray for us. If Paul needed his ministry to be undergirded by the prayer of the saints, how much more, Sam, and for that matter, me and all the elders. We, we need your prayers. Pray for him. Pray for us. Asking that we might be faithful and fruitful in our ministry here. And finally, put us to work. Put us to work. I, I have said that he has been gifted to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's his gifting. Make him use those gifts. Make him him use those gifts to build you up towards maturity, to equip you for the work that you've been given to do in our midst. Put him to work. Put not only him, but but me and, and all of the elders. Put us to work that we might help you to grow. I promise you that we would delight to have you burden us. We would delight to have you come to us and and seek our help as you seek to grow up towards maturity, as you seek the equipping that you need to be a, a, a minister of edification in our church. Because ultimately, that's why we're here. That's the mission that God has given us. Our mission is to make and equip mature disciples of Jesus Christ to make disciples who will manifest the kingdom here in Cleveland and even to the ends of the earth. Disciples who will generously love and serve God and out of their love for God will generously love and serve their neighbor. And with Sam as our associate, I am convinced that we will be able to do that more fruitfully than ever before. For he has been gifted to be a gift to us. And because God gives such gifts so generously to His church, that is why we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let us believe it together. Father God, we remember Jesus' words when He says, I will build my church. But we also remember, Father, that Jesus works through means that He works through instruments. And we recognize here this morning that Sam is an instrument in His hands. And so we pray that You would be with Sam as he undertakes this ministry. And we pray that You would be with us, that You would grant us the grace to receive his ministry. And through his work among us, we pray that You would bring forth an abundant harvest of righteousness 
that brings good to your people and to our community and brings glory to your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.